BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Thank you for joining us for this latest edition of the Bill Press Pod. Good to see you. Well, in Washington, the 118th Congress is off and running with Democrats in control of the Senate by one vote and Republicans also by a slim margin in control of the House. On the surface, that looks like a recipe for disaster, with Senate Democrats pushing for tough legislation on police reform, climate change, protecting women's rights, expanding access to health care, and House Republicans wanting to do little else but investigate Hunter Biden. But could it be just the opposite? Could both parties decide to put their differences aside and actually get things done in order to have something to brag about in 2024? In other words, what can we really expect from this broken and divided Congress? Today, we put that question to a man who knows Congress better than most of the people who served there, having covered Congress since the mid-80s. Carl Hulse is chief Washington correspondent for The New York Times. Carl Hulse, good to reconnect with you and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod. Uh, thanks for having me. A lot going on. Oh, yeah, indeed. So, Carl, you have seen uh, many a Congress uh, come and go. And we look at this 118th Congress. Let's just start off. I mean, one seat majority in the Senate for Democrats, what is it, 10, 10 slim majority in the House for Republicans. Is this a recipe for disaster or a recipe for getting anything done? Uh, I don't think it's a recipe for getting anything done. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, we ha- we uh, we'll have to see if it's a disaster. You know, if the if the government defaults because there's no debt limit increase, I would say that would uh, uh, be classified as a disaster. Uh, it's just these these parties are so far apart. I don't see any big, big legislation. And, you know, this, the, the Congress had a good legislative record the last Congress. So yeah, uh, you, know, yeah. you can't you can't really count on something like that. But, you know, this does feel like 95, uh, 1995 to me again, you know, a very aggressive uh, new House Republican majority combative comes in, but there's a Democratic president and you know they're they're just gonna fight it out uh i mean i've i've always think i've seen it all here bill after all these years i I, i've never seen 15 votes to get elected speaker so there's there's always something new kevin mccarthy is in a you know he's in a very very difficult spot and uh i i just don't see much legislation happening you know there's there's just not much agreement, but there are certain things have to happen, right? You have to increase the debt limit. You have to fund the government somehow. So they'll they'll work on that. There'll maybe be some smaller uh, legislative initiatives. Actually, the farm bill is up. That mm-hmm. could 
that could happen. It's, uh, you know, that's a more of a geographic fight in some ways than a political fight. Uh, so, but I expect mainly, you know, a lot of, a lot of fury and fireworks as they do these investigations and uh, try and score political points, but we're not going to see big bills. So, you know, there are a lot of similarities to 1995, uh, and we remember uh, Newt Gingrich, but isn't one big difference that Newt had more of a united caucus uh, and was a stronger leader than Kevin McCarthy? I think Newt was definitely a, a stronger leader, and, you know, they'd been out of power for 40 years, so they, they, wanted, <laughs> to do, they wanted to do something. But, you right. know— I don't know how united they were, Bill, because if you remember, it wasn't too long until they bounced Newt out of there. <laughs> right. So, uh, I, you know, I think Newt, uh, he was Newt for all his flaws. And I think, you know, we can uh, agree that he had some flaws there. Uh, he was a sort of a visionary guy. And oh, yeah. He, yeah. Had, he had big ideas that he wanted to do. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, I think, is... Uh, more of someone who just, he wanted to be speaker and he has accomplished that. Uh, he's a little bit like the dog who caught the car, uh, I think. <laughs> yeah. Now what the hell do I do? I, I, yeah. remember, I remember somebody who worked for Newt at the time said, you know, this guy comes in every morning and he just sits down and he rattles off like 15 big ideas that he had since uh, since he left office, uh, yeah. I mean, left the, the office the day before, right? Yeah. And he yeah. said, you know, maybe one of them, maybe two of them were worth pursuing. But I mean, he just was spouting big ideas, kind of things he wanted to do all the time. Yeah, he, he had too many big ideas, right? And that's what yeah, happened. Right. His members are like, well, you have so many ideas. You, for, you, you, you told us we were going to gain seats and we lost seats. You know, speaking mm -hmm. of ideas, I think one thing these this Republican majority has is some of their ideas are great when they're in the minority and they sound great and they motivate their base and nobody takes them seriously. But when you're in, all of a sudden those ideas, even though they're not gonna happen, become more real. And this is what you're seeing like with the 30% sales tax that is a right. talking point for some of these conservative Republicans. That sounds great when you're when no one's listening except your voters and you say, I'm gonna get rid of the IRS and we're gonna go with a uh, consumption tax, the Democrats are having a field day with that, right? It's like, here, hey, these Republicans are going to uh, charge you 30% on every single thing you buy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's ideas like that. We're going to, we're going to, uh, you know, overturn the bills that the, the Democrats passed. Well, guess what? The Democrats passed bills that uh, reined in the drug companies and capped insulin and uh, made health care uh, a little more stable under Obamacare. So you start talking about getting rid of those and the Democrats are just going to pound you. And they are. Uh, Chuck Schumer every day is, you know, show us your plan. Show us your plan. And it's, it's different when you're in power. Yeah. Well, there's another idea that you have written about uh, in The New York Times that um, uh, it's an oldie but goodie, maybe. I'm not sure how good it is. And that is Term limits. This is yeah. also something they they run on. I mean, how realistic is that? Z zero. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's this so. is it's. You're exactly right. This is another one of those things. Like we're going to term limit, and then you know they have to vote on it. It's like 
well, I don't really want to term limit myself. Uh, sorry. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it, it's one of these things where it's a great headline, but the reality of it just isn't there. I, I mean, and you're referring to that story. Ted Cruz is pushing yeah. that in the Senate. It's 12 years. And so I said to him, I go, well, you're, you're about to finish your 12th year. Does this mean you're going to uh, term limit yourself. And of course, he's not going to term limit himself. He's, he's loving the Senate. And he said, well, I, I'm not going to do it unilaterally. And I said, well, it would really make a send a great message if you quit and you would show that it, it, it you're serious about this. And of course, he uh, wasn't serious. No, I mean, that's really the joke of it. By the way, that would take a constitutional amendment, correct? Yes, right. So you have to get two thirds in both the House and the Senate, and then I think 38 states. You know, it's just not going to happen. There was a Supreme Court decision uh, back in the 90s that said it would it would take a constitutional amendment because if you remember, the states <clears throat> have done this. A lot of states have. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Their state legislatures, but uh, the Constitution uh, would require a change. It's just not going to happen. Mitch McConnell. He may be the most adamant foe I know of term limits, and he's always like, "Well, we we have term limits. We call them elections." And you know, in some ways, it's true. It's it's always great for fired up conservatives. We got to get these uh, guys out of Washington. Uh, there was a I, I didn't look this up, but Newt, of course, had really pushed this, and mm -hmm. uh, he was abandoned by. Uh, his fellow leaders, Tom DeLay at the time, uh, voted against it. And I, there was some uh, commentary on the floor to the effect of when when during your 18 years in Congress did you decide that 12 was enough? You know, uh, it's just, you know, it's 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 uh, it's a oldie but goodie for sure. But it's going nowhere. Right. So um, you, you mentioned earlier what may be the first big test of getting anything done or McCarthy's ability to, to deliver on anything is this debt ceiling fight. That, sure. yeah, uh, we're, all, we're already broke, but they've got games they can play to keep us going. So McCarthy has kind of drawn the line in the sand in terms of what he says has to happen. Here he is uh, this week, Kevin McCarthy. Very clear. We will not pass a clean debt ceiling here without some form of spending reform. So there'll never be a clean one. Uh, OK, so Carl, what are they demanding right now? He also says, I'm not going to cut. We're not going to cut Social Security on Medicare. Uh, other Republicans are saying, oh, no, we have to. So, yeah, where's this, yeah. <laughs> I where's this heading? <laughs> so he uh, he went to the White House and met with the president. And I think the Democrats were ac actually encouraged after that meeting. I think that uh, they think, you know, that McCarthy recognizes what the political peril he is in, uh, because, you know, uh, if a default is going to tank your 401k, uh, Republicans have 401ks too. And I don't think he wants to be blamed for that. So I think you're going to have a lot of semantics that go on here. They're going to have to try and pass a debt limit. And then over on the side somewhere, they're going to have some kind of negotiation about spending. And they're going to come up with something that will have some cuts. But, you know, once you take Social Security and Medicare off the table, there's only so much you can do. And then you also mm -hmm. have a lot of Republicans and quite a few Democrats who say, plus, you can't touch defense spending. 
So, right. you know, waste, fraud, and abuse, that's the great uh, <laughs> Washington uh, mantra. And, it, you know, that, that gets you like one-tenth of one percent or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the real figure, but there's just, I'm sure there's waste in government, but there's not enough waste to balance the budget. I do think what at the end of the day, you're going to get some attempts to uh, have some sort of budget caps and restrict spending. And uh, will it do it? I don't know. In 2011, I covered that very closely, the debt limit fight. And they did have, they did put some caps on. And what happened was uh, everyone found they couldn't live within those caps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you'll have something along those lines. The White House and the Democrats will say, well, the debt limit isn't directly tied to this spending plan. The Republicans are going to say, well, we got what we wanted. And uh, uh, hopefully that all happens. That's the best possible result because uh, failure to do this is going to be cataclysmic. And, you know, you have people saying, oh, the government will just keep paying its debts. And uh, it's this is all I mean, when you know how the markets are, it's it's uh, optics. So. The optics, even if you are paying your bills right. that you defaulted, are, are, are horrible. So sure. yeah. hopefully they can, hopefully they'll come to something. I think both sides, when they came out of that meeting, and I've talked privately now to people uh, who were engaged in that, and they said it was, it was, it was a little more reassuring than they anticipated. Well, the president himself reflected that um, the next morning he appeared at the national prayer breakfast. Uh, Ending, ending with what I thought was a, uh, an unusual pledge of almost good buddies with between him and Kevin McCarthy. Here, here's the president. Let's just sort of kind of join hands again a little bit. Let's start treating each other with respect. That's what Kevin and I are going to do. Not a joke. We had a good meeting yesterday. I think we got to do it across the board. Doesn't mean we're going to agree and fight like hell. But let's treat each other with respect. Holding hands, Carl? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's Joe Biden, right? He's, he, he, he's pals with everybody. And Kevin McCarthy is also pals with everybody. He, he, that's his personality. You know, Kevin McCarthy, uh, I know this, this, yeah. irritate, this irritates him, but one of my colleagues once wrote a story comparing him to a golden lamb. Uh, <laughs> The you know he he also wants to get along and be liked and hmm. Hmm. I think you know those are two guys who who will try and find something. Kevin McCarthy isn't like one of these really angry, mean spirited people, honestly. Uh, so you know between the two of them, uh, hopefully they can get something done. Uh, and everybody has done this dance before, so. They, they know that they have to get a result, but it, it, it is dangerous. Yeah. Actually, one of the dangerous things about this is because there's so little going on, everyone's just focused on this every day. And, you know, mm. it's hard sometimes to get things done when that amount of tension is on you. So we'll have to see how they work it out. But, you know, that's just the beginning. They also have to somehow fund the government. And, uh, you know, yeah. you have new, you have four women for the first time who are in charge of the appropriations process. Uh, and, you know, they want to, they want to do some uh, big spending bills. So this is going to be really a drawn out 
but interesting to watch situation. So McCarthy had uh, uh, this past week uh, what some people were saying, his first big win, right? He uh, fulfilled his promise to throw Representative Elon Omar off the Foreign Affairs Committee. Yeah. Uh, like, really? I mean, what did that accomplish? Well, right? the, the, well, it accomplished a get even. This was uh, this yeah. was to get even for what the Democrats did. And, you know, that's a dangerous thing that the Democrats did. And I'm not saying that there needs to be retribution. But when you start, when you do something in Congress, one party, the other party, when they come back, they always do it back to you and a little worse. Mm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's that's what happened. I, you know, I, I don't call it a win, but they call it a win because it looked like he was going to lose. He was. Uh, yeah, right. People were people were uh, leaving him uh, and saying they weren't going to support this because, yeah, I, it does look it's it's tit for tat is a bad thing. But, uh, you know, he was able to to round him up. Uh, there's all sorts of little crazy things like this going on on the Hill. They're fighting over whether you can have guns in you carry your gun into a committee hearing. And, you know, they're fighting about who can say the pledge of allegiance uh in the committee meetings like if you supported the january 6th insurrectionists I, you know there's a there's yeah. a lot of sideshows right now right that uh <laughs> uh the the uh, getting getting even by the way uh it wasn't just in the house um you mentioned mitch yeah. mcconnell earlier yeah. i was a little surprised that mitch mcconnell um played this game too by knocking rick scott <laughs> off of one of his uh, committees. Is yeah, this... you, you know, there's no free lunch in Congress. You go you go after somebody, and somebody who has power, they're going to get you the first chance they get. So what happened there was the Republicans were in kind of a, a tricky situation with their committee assignments because they're, they remained in the minority, but and they lost a seat, so the Democrats picked up a seat on a committee. But because they had retirements and other things, they have a lot of new members. And they had to find committee spaces for them. And there just weren't many to go around. So Mitch McConnell, Rick Scott of Florida, had challenged Mitch McConnell. They clashed over the Senate mm -hmm. uh, campaign strategy. He went after him. So Mitch McConnell, when he got a chance, he uh, knocked Rick Scott off the Commerce Committee. And I guarantee you, he was very satisfied when he was doing that. You can almost see him <laughs> sitting there, you know, the cat, the cat in the uh, uh, with the cream, you know, and uh, I'm sure he took great joy in that. Are you know, all this talk about committees, um, I don't know. Uh, it seems to me that there was a day when some of these Senate committee chairs were really powerful, you know, yes. or, or yeah. in the House, too. I mean, yeah. even even Joe Biden, when he was head of judiciary or head yeah. of foreign affairs or yeah. Wilbur Mills and Ways and Means, are the committees as powerful today as they once were? No, no, we're not even close. And that is a problem that a lot of members uh, want to address. And it was one of the main reasons that uh, McConnell was challenged. There were a lot of people who ended up supporting Mitch McConnell, obviously, but they still complained about the consolidation of power in the leadership offices, which really, going back to Newt, started uh, in some ways with him. You know, he wanted to really centralize power in the speaker's office, mm -hmm. and he uh, diluted the power of the chairs. And that has, and Nancy Pelosi, you know, the adept politician that she was, 
is uh, she, you know, took that further. So, so much of what happens in Congress in the past almost 10 years has really been dictated just by the leadership, right? They, there's not time to do the bills, so they assemble these big bills uh, and then they, you know, jam the members on them. A lot of members would like to see that change. And I think you're going to see with the appropriations process and some other legislation during this Congress, you're going to see an attempt to go back what is known on the Hill to uh, go back to regular order. You know, I, I'm putting regular order in air quotes right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's that's the old how a bill becomes law or let take it through a committee, you know, do something like that. And then, you know, have the fight. People don't want to take tough votes on the floor so much anymore. And uh, so these bills coming at the last minute, they don't have a lot of amendments. To their credit, the House Republicans are opening up the amendment process. And, you know, they say they're going to have open amendments and you're going to be able to, you know, debate on the floor. So far, they're doing that. But my experience is all new majorities say they're going to open up the amendment process. And then they realize it takes forever and it ends up with a lot of politically tough votes for their members. And then they go, "Okay, let's go back to the old way of doing things. No, no amendments. But, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, Mm -hmm. The Republicans don't have that many bills, so uh, they're going to, you know, they've got to do something. Uh, But, yeah, committee committee chairmanship isn't what it used to be. But we'll, we'll see if they're able to kind of reverse that. Will we ever see another speaker in our lifetime as powerful as Nancy Pelosi? Well, I don't know. She, uh, <laughs> love her or hate her, and there are people who do yeah, Right. Yeah. Uh, she really knew what she was doing. And she, you know, well, and you, through your relationship with her in California, you know, she, when, yep. when she, when she was chair of the party out there that was a time when women weren't weren't that uh prevalent in politics you and, bet right you know, and so coming out of that she uh all you need to know about nancy pelosi and her effectiveness is how she's orchestrated her own exit have you ever seen anybody uh, pull it off oh, like she no, did, you know, a documentary you know unveiling the portrait uh, <laughs> all, all these things and going on the floor i mean uh, she orchestrated her exit like uh, Cecil B. DeMille. You know, it was it was a, a thing of beauty to watch. And uh, it, it's it's interesting to see her now in Congress, you know, as she's still she's never going to be a regular rank and file person. But to sort of be uh, in the back row with her friends from uh, California. Yeah. <laughs> but I will I will say to me, she's she seems thrilled. Uh, she, I think it was a great burden, you know, not just the burden of raising a million dollars a day, but the burden of having to, uh, organize everyone all the time. And she see, and then she, of course, the horrible incident with her with husband Paul, right. and, uh, you know, but she seems, uh, you know, the Maureen Dow did the big column on her and the headline was uh, liberated and loving it. And I, I think that really, that was really true. All right. So we are are just getting into the investigation phase of this new Congress with uh, Jim Jordan already sending out his first subpoenas. Uh, We'll talk about that. That's coming up next. Let's take a quick break here, and then we'll be back with uh, Carl Hulse uh, to talk more about what we can expect from this 118th Congress. 
Today's podcast with Carl Hulse brought to you by the American Federation of Government Employees, members of the AFGE. They're the largest federal employees union under President Everett Kelly, over 750,000 strong, the unsung heroes of our government who keep the government agencies running, not only in Washington, D.C., but all across the country, serving us, the American people, every day. We thank them for their service and thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And we're back. Today's guest, Carl Hulse. He is uh, the chief congressional correspondent uh, for the New York Times. Uh, I consider him, I don't know whether it's official or not, the dean of the congressional <laughs> press corps, better known on Capitol Hill, of course, as the drummer for the band, the Native Makers. Yeah. We, we, just, we, just had a, we just had a very successful gig uh, a few nights uh, ago, and uh, you know, we're, we're back in business uh, post-COVID. Uh, a f- successful gig, I might add, with my a former business partner, Paul Woodhall, yes. <laughs> and and my former producer, Peter Ogburn. So, yes, yes. yeah, yeah, you're 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 practically part of the band. <laughs> if you need a a lead vocalist, maybe I'll be there next time, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> we can always use a lead vocalist. Trust me. All right, so let's talk. Well, first, I got to ask you: Does this new lineup in the Senate mean that uh, Joe Manchin is not going to be the um, the king of the hill anymore? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think his his influence is somewhat reduced, but you see that he's trying to insert himself uh, as a as a deal maker in the uh, yeah debt ceiling fights. Joe Manchin has a big decision to make. He needs to decide if he's going to run for reelection. Uh, he's going to have a really hard time out there in West Virginia in a presidential year. You know, Joe Biden's going to get about two percent of the vote in West Virginia. <laughs> Uh, but I don't think he's made up his mind. So he's trying to figure out how to best position himself. But in a closely divided Senate, everyone is a kingmaker. And mm. uh, he 
he likes to do it more publicly. Also, you know, uh, Senator Cinema, also another very interesting yeah. person to watch in the Senate. What is she going to do? She became an independent and uh, but stayed with the Democrats in terms of uh, committees. So they do have their 51 49, but uh, she also has to decide whether she's going to run, and the Democrats have to decide if they're going to support her or a Democratic alternative. So, you know, these are, 2024 is not far off, right? And, and these are decisions that have to be made soon. So back to the part of the uh, one part of the GOP agenda in the House that we certainly heard about and, and promise is going to happen is unending investigations, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, impeaching Alejandro Mohorcas, and then the weaponization yeah. uh, committee. Uh, I, I mean, first of all, even having a committee with a title, yeah. weaponization yeah. of the yeah. federal yeah. government. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know who thought that was a good yeah. idea, just because you're, you're, you're kind of giving away the <laughs> the story there, right? We, we've already decided there was weaponization, and now we're going to figure out who did it. Uh, I, you know, there's going to be a lot of investigations. This is what they promised their uh, constituents, you know, but a lot of it is it's based on it's, it's, you know, it's conspiracy theory stuff. And if you have a real congressional investigation with real investigators, you're going to find out that some of this stuff is not real. And, you know, it's hard to say, how are they going to sustain this? And also one thing that I, that's occurred to me as I've watched this whole thing unfold, and we've both been at this for a while, real congressional investigations are very difficult and, and require a high degree of expertise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw one of the Republicans said, we're going to have 70 investigations. You know, they'll be lucky to have seven because yeah. they're, they're real work. So if they just go and do headlines and, you know, we're having a committee hearing and we're going to bring in a few people and, you know, make outrageous charges and leave it at that. Well, those aren't real investigations. And at the New York Times, we're, we're examining, you know, how, just how do we cover this stuff? You know, yeah, right. do, we, do we give that oxygen if it's not real? Do we, what do we do? It's hard to ignore things, but it, it does create uh, questions for the media you know, we don't want to amplify things that sure. are just total, totally bogus. So yeah. something that something to keep an eye on going forward. Very, very important question. So, you know, the by the way, I, I have to say, <laughs> um, watching the January 6th special committee in terms of an investigation that was conducted professionally and uh, extremely well, particularly for a television audience, um, hard to think of a better example. Yeah, Wouldn't you agree. Yeah, but it was heavily scripted. Uh, yes. But yeah, I mean, and I think the Democrats learned a lesson from that, too. The Republicans made a huge mistake in saying they weren't going to participate. So that just right. gave the yeah. Democrats a free hand, and they just buried uh, the January 6th uh, people on that. It had this great hearing. And uh, so you're not seeing the Democrats say, hey, we're not going to participate in yep. these witch hunts because they saw what happened. But yeah, I mean, you know, in January 6th goes on, uh, you know, it's it's a real point of tension between House Democrats and Republicans. And you saw, you know, McCarthy, I'm going to give him credit on this. The other day he was asked about the shooting of Ashley Babbitt, which, you know, yep. in the uh, many Republicans call it murder. And and, and he, he stuck up for the 
uh, police officer and said that police officer was doing his job and it got him blowback. But uh, I give I give him credit on that because this is one of those things where Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, you know, they complain about the treatment of the people who are being held in the jail over January 6th. And uh, a lot of people, the, the Democrats and Americans around the country are looking at that and saying, you know, why are you defending those those folks like that? So uh, January 6th uh, lives on and uh, will continue to be uh, a big uh, dividing point between the parties in the House. And in fact, that's one of the focuses, looking at the FBI, looking at the Justice sure. Department, looking, even looking at the Pentagon that Jim Jordan says, all related to, to follow up to January 6th on this so-called weaponization committee. Uh, Carl, you had a great column a couple of weeks ago where the Republicans are saying, well, this is just what Frank Church did yeah. back in the 1970s. Yeah. Right. Uh, not quite the same. No, right? I mean, and the Frank Church people uh, who, who are still around uh, were outraged by that. The, Frank Church, the church committee, there was obviously, this was much in our younger days, Bill, but, uh, you know, there were abuses really yeah, bad by, yeah. the, by the CIA, uh, the FBI, NSA. I mean, there was wholesale spying on Americans and all sorts of things. And that the church committee was a very bipartisan effort. Uh, and that's where you got the intelligence committees uh, in the House and Senate came out of that. And of course, in that story you're referring to, we uh, most people were, were comparing this more to the Joe McCarthy hearing, <laughs> right. not the Kevin McCarthy hearings, where you know these are just these witch hunts. Like I have in on this piece of paper, you know, uh, the names of 50 FBI agents who have weaponized the government. But you know, you, at some point, you have to to show. You have to deliver something. So if this goes on and on and they don't really come up with anything, people are going to dismiss it. The FBI, this is also something that's really strikes me. You know, the FBI and the military being attacked by Republicans. Uh, uh, yeah, this, yeah. This is, this, the Republicans have always been the staunchest defenders of the FBI and military, even when there were abuses, right? And <laughs> yeah, so, right. So, and it was always the Democrats and the lefties, you know, who were after after yeah. the authorities, and uh, you know. But this is all part of this deep state argument. And are there wrongdoers in all these agencies? You bet there are. You bet there are. Uh, but I don't know that it's ever going to reach the level of this deep state conspiracy that they seem to think exists where all these people cooperate. I mean, you know, the government's just not that efficient. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. it's always like the media conspiracy. That's always made me laugh. I go, you think we're able to conspire? That's amazing. <laughs> we can barely put out the paper. Uh, so it's uh, I don't know that it's going anywhere. And this is. You know, the one committee that they did create, though, that I do think has legs is this China Competitiveness oh. Committee, uh, very bipartisan. The Democrats are worried about China, which, you know, is now evidently sending giant balloons <laughs> over our right. over our uh, country to spy on us, you know, Gary, bring back Gary Powers. Right. Uh, and <laughs> the uh, I, I think that yep. could actually produce something and. I don't know what power it's going to have to do something, but I, you know, China is a worry. It's a worrisome thing for us, and uh, so I, I do see cooperation there. The Democrats have put good people on their committee. The Republicans yep. have put solid mm -hmm. people on there. So uh, that's 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 one of their special committees that's probably going to produce something. 
That does seem to be the one area in Congress today where there is bipartisan cooperation and agreement, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Taking a tough stand against China. Uh, all right, Carl, I can't let you go, though. You mentioned uh, there are things that you've never seen before in all the years you've been covering Congress. I think you started in May 2002, I saw, right? Well, that was when I uh, became the correspondent for The Times. I've been around oh. Congress. Uh, I had different jobs within The Times company. I've really been covering Congress since 85, 1985. Oh, Jesus. All right. Yeah. Good yeah. for you. Yeah. So in all those years, have you ever seen anybody like George Santos? Uh, you know, no, because uh, because he's a total. But there's there's been people like this, uh, you know, who had big holes in their resume. I don't. You remember there was a guy from Oregon named Wes Cooley. Uh, you might remember this is back no. in the '80s or '90s, and he had he'd lied about a ton of stuff. And uh, you know, the, and the more you look, the more it came. But this this gentleman, I've just never seen anything like it. It's like he would read something in the paper and then just assign it to himself. He would take on uh, all these things. Now I see the latest is that he was telling people he was a producer of Spider-Man on Broadway, which was, by the way, a, a historic flop. So I don't even know why you would want to tell people that. But the I, It's just crazy. But here's here's a, something that troubles me about this, is that he's become a celebrity now. Right. Oh, he yeah. goes and everybody wants to take selfies and get his autograph and he's waltzing around. I mean, I'm I see him. He's always passing by me in the hallway up there. And so the fact that he's been able to do this and now that it's somehow elevated him, I don't I don't like that. I mean, I think that uh, needs to be reined in somehow. I think, you know, there's a good chance that he's going to be hit with some kind of criminal charge. Uh, I think, uh, you know, because he's got some uh, financial issues. I mean, there's a lot brewing around him, but it's very likely maybe uh, that he could finish his two years. I did see, speaking of term limits, I did see that he was wearing a button the other day that supported term limits. And I said, well, he's he's probably <laughs> definitely he's definitely going to be term limited because uh, I don't think he can win reelection in his district or any district. Uh, but Why? Why does why doesn't Kevin McCarthy McCarthy come out? He needs the vote. He needs that guy. He needs yeah. the vote. I mean, he can't lose any votes, you know, because uh, what is it, four vote margin or something? And if he, you know, he's got a member from Florida who's been laid up with some injuries, uh, so he's down a little bit there. You know, there's 435 people in there during the course of two years. People get sick, some die, some pick other jobs. I mean, he just he doesn't want to. Uh, give that vote up unless he absolutely has to. But they did keep him off committees because that was going to look pretty get bad as they were throwing Democrats off committees. You're going to put this guy on a committee. But, uh, mm. you know, it, it's it's I, I always say there is precedent for certain things. But so far on this one, I've seen people lie about their backgrounds, but not the wholesale lying that's involved here. So he's what do you a, think? He's a fiction of himself. He's a, he's a <laughs> what do you think, Carl? Do you have the best job in the world? I mean, it's I've, I've had one of them. It's it's uh, yeah. You know, people I go, think you do. Why do you do it? And I said, so we always see something you didn't see before, uh, and you know. But it uh, it's also though I will say in this environment, it's, it's these are hard jobs now. You know, there's a lot of public criticism, and you know, mm -hmm. you get uh, you get no matter what you get uh, criti you get criticized 
And, you know, it's, it's, uh, you have to, my goal is always to be as accurate as I can and make sure that I, I tell people what's going on and, and be straight about it. Because if you make the slightest error these days, boy, people come boy. after you. There's a, there's a guy uh, on Twitter, his, his thing is called like, <laughs> typos of the New York times, right? There's a, there's oh. this guy, one guy out there who just reads every story and picks out. Your type. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the kind of job we have. If that's the only mistake you make, that's not too bad. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're glad you're there, Carl, and especially grateful for your taking the time to join us today to give us some insights into the 118th Congress. Carl, good to talk to you. We'll see you again soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Bill. And that's a wrap for today's podcast with Carl Hulse. Follow him in the New York Times for all the best information about what's happening in the Congress. We'll be back on Friday with our roundtable. Lots to talk about because this week we've got the State of the Union. Then President Biden and the Vice President, Kamala Harris, are going to go around the country in a little victory tour to talk about uh, all the things they've accomplished, including 517,000 new jobs in the month of January. Hey, we'll also take a look at uh, the Republican responding to the State of the Union. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, new governor of Arkansas, former White House press secretary, and some people are saying that this appearance will be her audition to be Donald Trump's vice presidential running mate in 2024, God forbid. At any rate, it's going to make for a lively roundtable this Friday. Have a great week, folks. Come back Friday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>